So I made homemade apple butter the other night. So it's, I'm one step closer to becoming the man Omer wants me to be. Is that a euphemism? I, no, it's, that's what it sounds like. No, it was legitimate apple butter. <laughs> there, there was were it some Greg baby apple butter. Uh, Greg, either way, it sounds delicious. <laughs> it, it, it is. There's even a special ingredient. <laughs> yeah, I bet there is. Yeah, it's love. Uh, that's and another euphemism. <laughs> I'm just sharing my love with the world. You no, are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 207, an episode which I'm going to have to do solo. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make more sense then. This is the Gimme Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. We call this a side A episode. We call that a side A episode because this is the time when we review stuff from now for the most part. It's going to be books, movies, streaming, TV shows, whatever, but we are reviewing the stuff that just came out. Uh, we also talk a little bit about Florida and entertainment news. My name is Alberto Knuckles Finelli. And I am joined by my guma, Margarita the Knight Del Greco. My friends call me Richard. And Juvencio Babyface Artuso. That's a spice of meatball. <laughs> Gabagool. Gabagool. Why did For you the use record, the name Margarita? Because I put in y'all's real names into one of those name generators, uh-huh. and ironically, and I know, <laughs> your name actually brought up Margarita. Mine did? Yes. Okay. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. And correct. And then when you no, added well, that, Guma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, because that is, in fact, his mom's name. That is literally my mother's name. Uh... <laughs> That's why I laughed. I laughed hysterically. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if he's going to jump on that and take that as his name. Uh I was hoping Rob great. would. <laughs> I oh, I jumped on it. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about Venom: Let There Be Carnage, which Rob got a chance to see. The eighties who saw it. Yeah, I didn't see it. Oh shit! I thought you saw it too, Greg. No. Oh well, shit. It's good. You can... I, I, I'm i not too concerned about spoilers with this one. But uh, 80s metal, glam metal book, nothing but a good time. Maybe a little bit of a surprise there with that book. And uh, we're going to talk about the Sopranos prequel, Many Saints of Newark, which showed up on HBO uh, Max and also in the theaters. All right. Well, that being said, we're going to review some stuff. And you know what happens when stuff gets reviewed? Stuff People is... die. Oh, sorry. Yes. Greg St- makes apple butter? Stuff is... <laughs> Greg doesn't need an excuse to make apple butter. 
Greg is making apple butter right oh, now. That's God, why his please. mic is muted. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna review stuff, and stuff is gonna get spoiled. If we spoil it, don't be a bitch. Suck it up. You knew it was coming. We warned you. Deal with it. Complainers don't get apple butter. <laughs> and you want that apple butter. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. You want that apple butter. Yes. I've got some music news. Again, we've got some music in this episode. We're going to try to keep the music ep- aspect a little shorter, but we have to contain ourselves. Because some of this music news is about Pearl Jam. Yay. Oh, God. Yeah, so uh, there is there is a concert that happens uh, at Dana Point out in California. It's an uh, area near Huntington Beach, and one of the th- it's uh, usually Eddie Vedder and a bunch of other bands. Um, so this is an interesting thing. It's a little bit sad, but also kind of cool. So the Friday night uh, closer, the big band ending the the Friday night part of the show was kings of leon and kings of leon is uh you probably know them out there they i think it's either two or three brothers in the band i think it's three of them yeah three of them so they were supposed to close out the show on friday night and a few hours before they're about to go on uh, it turned out that their mother passed away so obviously they're not going to play they have to fly home and be with their family and so now there's this giant show happening and there's no closing band. No, like the literal last band. So uh, Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam gathered an all-star band from amongst his friends. Um, I think some people flew in or came in because it was in California. So they were there and he actually formed a band on the spot with uh, Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Never heard of him. Uh, never heard of him. <laughs> He's the drummer, as you know. Yeah, he's um, awesome. He's the he's the, and he looks exactly like Will Ferrell. Have you ever seen the thing um, where they do the 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 little competition oh, yeah. on on whatever it was? Yeah, where they like mess with each other. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, also grabbed uh, the ex Chili Peppers guitarist Josh Klinghoffer, who is now a touring guitarist with Pearl Jam, is as he? well as yeah, that's cool. He just he joined the band for this tour. Uh, bassist P- Pino Palladino, who I don't know, Glenn Hansard, who is. Uh, uh, Irish folk singer who uh, he actually wrote a Broadway show that won, uh, I forget the name of it, but he won a bunch of awards for it. Um, and Andrew Watt, they uh, called themselves Eddie Vedder and the Earthlings. They they played you know eleven songs right right out there. They did um, REM's Drive, which is a fantastic song and works really well with his voice. They played uh, a Kings of Leon song. Uh, called Molly's Chambers, which I believe is actually about their mom. Uh, Long Way, which is a new single. They played Long Road, nice. which is a Pearl Jam song. Porch, uh, Tender Mercies, My Father's Daughter, which is a song that Eddie Vedder wrote with his daughter, and she came out and played it with them. I'm One by The Who, uh, Corduroy, Pearl Jam, Precious, a Pretender song, and they closed with Purple Rain by Prince. Oh, cool. Um, I know that and, one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You probably know Drive also. Yeah. Um, Shout out but, to Drive. <clears throat> no. no, no just, <laughs> it was a radio hit for a while. Anyway, very cool 
little thing that that happened on that day. So, and our condolences to the family of Kings of Leon. That's pretty cool to be able to uh, jump in and help help a, fr- a fellow band. You know, with mm-hmm. they're going through their tragedy, but that must be amazing to be able to put together this like amazing lineup of musicians. Just like you know, pluck them out of wherever. Just send some texts, see who's nearby, and it's all like amazing, awesome people. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god. <sighs> That's and I do have another. This is another story, but this one is actually it's a music story, but it's for Rob because I think you might be amazed at this one. Okay. So there is a guitarist named Richie Faulkner. He plays for Judas Priest, and they were at another concert festival. This time was in Kentucky, the Louder Than Life Festival. Uh, he's closing out the show. They did an hour set because they were playing before Metallica, and there's a song called Painkiller, which is not an easy guitar song to play. It's super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of him playing that song, he had a weird feeling in his chest Uh-oh. because his aorta ruptured, and he had a complete aortic dissection. Okay. What the which, hell does that mean? Have you? I'm assuming you know what that is, and you've heard of it. I do know what that is, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to tell me how long he continued playing. He he played the rest of the song. Yeah, and it, then it was not a complete dissection until the end of the song. <clears throat> that is what the hospital said. Yeah, apparently. It maybe by, is, maybe it started no, during the song. Yeah, it, it probably started during the song, but there's no physical way that he could have played an entire song. With an a with a complete aortic dissection, I mean it's 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 probable that it happened at the end of the song, or that it just finished at the end of the song, or that moving him, getting him to the hospital where they did the autopsy, they were able. No, to he find... didn't die. He didn't die. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. his his statement was, I was um, as I watch footage from the Ladder and Life Festival, I can see in my face the confusion and anguish I was feeling while playing Painkiller, as my aorta aorta ruptured and I started to spill blood into my chest cavity. Holy shit. I was having what my doctor called an aortic aneurysm and a complete aortic descent dissection. Mm-hmm. What I've been told by my soul, my surgeon, people like this don't usually make it to the hospital alive. It all could have ended so differently. We only had an hour long set due to Metallica's performance after us. It does cross my mind that if it was a full set, I would have played until total collapse. Um, doc. Uh, he said, sorry. Yeah, I copied this out of a thing. He said, if it hadn't happened in such a high adrenaline situation, would my body have even been able to keep going long enough to reach the hospital? The amazing heart and lug center was only four miles away from the gig site. If it had been further away, I would have died. So Again, your aorta literally just separates? Like just... Yeah, your your aorta basically opens up and you're pumping blood into your chest. You're no longer pumping blood into, into your, your body. Right. So... It, it, there's there's no physical way that he could have it, he may have ended up with a complete dissection but he did not have a complete dissection at the beginning of the song or when he started to feel the chest pain it was probably gradually ripping further and further up because I said it like it starts shredding mm-hmm. but either way Richie Faulkner is on the mend after the awesome doctors and nurses at this Kentucky uh center uh saved his life basically uh, it's interesting because I, I did watch the video and it like i mean as soon as the song is over he's gone he's like off stage you see his face get weird or is it not that close 
you can't it's a it's not the best video and it's definitely someone's cell phone so it's shaky cam Got it. um there's a little bit where you can tell like you know that thing where they'll like have the one leg kind of outstand extended to the side and like the other knee kind of bent and you like they hold the guitar up <laughs> yeah. like you could kind of tell like when you're like when they have like one foot on the monitor and the other leg out like you could tell that he's something's off but he doesn't miss a he's just doing the solo doesn't miss a beat so okay those are my two little bits of news. They just both happened to be music news, and I was kind of fascinated by the the latter one. Anything else? I have no news. No news I, is good news. I was just. I would say like that. to know if there was something weird that happened. <laughs> I'm gonna. Is it, is it still fat shaming if you're talking about someone in Florida? <laughs> no, we pretty much expect that. Okay. So, a 650-pound man was arrested after bursting into a woman's home in Wildwood. And all I could think about was the Kool-Aid man. (laughs) Oh, yeah! (laughs) Thank you. There it was. (laughs) What do you mean he burst into her home? Like, Well, yeah, that, that was one thing, like... This dude is built like a Snorlax, and he – I don't know how much bursting he's doing at a rapid pace, but uh, – Well, I not mean, if good... he can get that bulk moving, it's possible if she had like a, a trailer that he could have gone through the wall. I was impressed. Yeah, it seemed burst. like it was It was actually a pretty normal Florida – it was actually a house that looked very similar to the one that um, that the alligator guy from last week, you know, just a regular Florida house. I, I guess maybe, but it is Florida. There's not like a lot of hills. Like if you came tearing down a hill, maybe – but anyway, the 655 man, uh, the woman, uh, the 37-year-old Titus Lamar Simon forced his way into a residence on Wednesday afternoon. They'd have no idea why. Uh, according to a arrest report from the Sumter County Sheriff's Office, uh, he had been outside of the home yelling and then went to the back door and forced it open, bursting through to offer some fruit punch, apparently. Um, <laughs> or to, to make the children's afternoon more lively, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Um Tell me and that he, one of the first comments on that story is he just wanted to give her some Kool Aid. Yeah, right. <laughs> like write the story and then wait for the first comment to be, oh yeah, <laughs> like there it is. Uh, he, yeah, he basically yelled around at the house a bunch, went inside, forced it open, even though it had been locked. Uh, it, this is not his first arrest, of course. He was arrested in 2013 on multiple drug charges. Uh, he is five foot eleven inches tall. And in 2013, he weighed 545 pounds. Uh, And he served eight months in jail. Then he was arrested on a battery charge in 2003 and was ordered to complete four hours of anger management, which clearly worked. (laughs) Um, When the deputies arrived, he was uh, sitting outside of the house, probably gasping for breath. Um, (laughs) You know, there's not really not too much to say because we have no idea what his motive was. But... I, I'm just always reminded of, of uh, something that uh, was it Colin Cowherd, the sports guy, said, mm-hmm. where he was talking about larger coaches and how if they're not, if they're unable to like contain themselves around you know uh, temptation and food, then he doesn't trust them to contain themselves and you know be leaders of a team. And it's just every time something like this happens where a large individual does something crazy, I'm like, 
it's just that conversation. And I, I kind of sanitized it a bit, but um, I don't know. It's just a that's a thing that happened. So a, wow. a Snorlax broke into a house, basically. <laughs> With some Kool-Aid. Yes. That is weird. <laughs> it's, it's Florida. And it was, of course, in the villages. Which is weird because, like, that 39, the 37-year-old was literally the youngest person in the villages, probably, at that point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, That's no a joke. retirement thing, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if the 37-year-old was there visiting their parents or had just inherited the house after her parents died. His parents died? His. Yes. Hmm. It was the Kool-Aid man, not the Kool-Aid woman. No, no, no. That The, the owner of the house he broke into. Oh, 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 oh gotcha. Yeah. I, I thought you said yeah. it was a her at the beginning of the story. Oh, gotcha. No, yeah, the, it did say broke into a woman's home. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, um, I see what you mean. Yeah, it was a woman's. <clears throat> it was a woman's house. So that is our Florida story. Excellent. Okay. All right. I like it. Yeah. Anyone want to talk about our lovely patrons? I love the quickly? patrons. I'm a huge fan. I'm a patron. I would let them break into our house with Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, I don't love them so much anymore. I, they don't show up to me uh, to my place with Kool Aid. But for <laughs> five bucks, well, you don't have to bring Kool Aid. Omar will show up at your place yeah. with Kool Aid. Yeah, I'll do that for free. Um, but for five, if you want to show up at our Discord chat, Kool Aid lists or otherwise, that's that's on you. Um, if we get a new if we get a new patron, I will send five packets of Kool Aid to the next patron that signs up. Do I get to pick what the flavors are? Sure, but sadly, Purple Source Rex doesn't exist okay. anymore. Well, I got a dude. I was in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> You're breaking me down. He over can here. probably get some on eBay, Omar. Don't worry. <laughs> that's true. Um, you get early access to the movie that we're going to review, uh, this week. It's a fun one. You get early access to the top five list. Um, you get a birthday episode. You get to pick the movie and a custom top five list specifically about you. And we reserve the right to say that if anything that we say resembles reality in any way, you've got like really big issues. But we want to party and, with you. <laughs> and speaking of, we have a birthday next week. If you go to patreon.com slash give me five podcast, that's F-I-V-E, um, you can jump in and become a member. And then you get all those nifty, swifty uh, benefits that we just talked about. And honestly, I think the Discord chat, it's it's like a nonstop source of entertainment. Um. So it's it's worth it just for that alone. But then the top five list is good because Greg and Rob are crazy. So, <laughs> so if you're interested, jump in. Nice. So we got three things to review here. I know we're going to finish with Venom. That's like the big one. That's the important one. On Greg's one. chest. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. What? Yes, you're going to finish with Venom on my chest. Wait, what? So let's... <laughs> Start off with a movie. With the movie? Let's start off with Many Saints of Newark. Okay. Then we'll do the book with our little surprise. And then we'll do uh, Venom, I think. So, uh, Omar, can you take us into the Many Saints of Newark, which I think both of us saw? Yes, I definitely was like very excited to see it. Um, it came out five days ago. It came out um, 
October 1st, 2021. Directed by Alan Taylor, whom I don't, that doesn't ring a bell. Of course, written by David Chase, who is popularly known for The Sopranos. Um, and for, um, he did the other one that takes place in Baltimore. The Wire. Same guy. Which was also fantastic. Uh, this one is starring Alessandro Nivola as uh, Dicky Montesanti. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. as Harold McBriar. Why do I know Leslie Odom Jr.? I'm not sure. We don't have to get into that right now. Uh, uh, Hamilton. Huh? He's uh, he's uh, Aaron Burr in Hamilton. Okay, there it is. All right. Like he was on the the stage gotcha, show gotcha. of it. Gotcha. Vera Farmagia as Livia Soprano, and she kills it. She does a great job. John yes. Blumenthal. Uh, I'm sorry, Bernthal as uh, Johnny Soprano, also known as you know the Punisher. Um, Corey Stoll. Who was in? He did, who's great in House of Cards? He plays Junior Soprano. He was also uh, Ant Man's villain. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Ray Liotta, Hollywood Dick Moltisanti, but he plays really two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, his they're twin brothers. Um, is it Michelle or Michaela? Michaela, because it's Italian. I think it's Michaela. Michaela. This is her first American role. Michaela De Rossi. De Rossi. De Rossi. She plays Giuseppina Moltisanti, who um, she is great like she she her she's a fantastic actress um mm-hmm. and she's the most italian looking woman on earth um michael gandolfini is the teenage tony soprano that's of course been all over the news you know he's james gandolfini's son who originally played tony soprano in the show um billy magnuson plays paulie walnut and john magaro plays silvio dante which we see later in the show well we'll talk about this but they do such a great job and Michael Imperioli returns as Christopher Christopher Maltasanti, um, and Samson Maiochiola plays a uh, pussy, and he does a fantastic job too. So uh, the synopsis of this whole thing, witness the making of Tony Soprano, the story that reveals the humanity behind Tony's struggles and the influence his family, especially his uncle Dickie Maltasanti, had over him, becoming the most iconic mob boss of all time. So you said you were excited about this. Were you a Sopranos person? I mean, I remember uh, when, in, you know, being in Orlando in college when The Sopranos was really big. And, like, I couldn't wait for Sundays. Like, we'd go over to our mutual friend's place, also in Orlando over there. And um, we'd, you know, get pizza and, like, watch it and stuff. Um, it's where you must have moved out right when I moved in because I, I think I replaced you. The, well, I never – no, I had an apartment over by UCF. So I never lived there, but I would go there because I had like I had roommates. And no, I'm saying like for the for the viewings because like I moved oh. in right before one of the seasons started. Yeah, I think I left. And I think you had just left. I yeah. think I left to US, USF at the time, but I loved it. I watched every episode, um, and since the show ended, you know, like a couple years later, like I remember, I even got my father into it. Um, That's a bad idea. He was all over it. Actually, this was a while ago, so the show may have still been going on. But I remember I um, I was going around to like blockbuster videos trying to find you know the seasons in order because he and I got so into it. Like I had already seen it, but I watched it again. Like it's just so good. So I was really excited and interested. Like someone's like gets like garroted, and he's like, "No, that sounds different." <laughs> and when someone takes their last breath, that wasn't realistic. That was not accurate. <laughs> yeah. You gotta pull until the eyes roll back into the head. <laughs> like, that's how you know you've won. Um, do you want to <laughs> do the initial thoughts? Do you want to like? What do we want to do? So, 
I'm weird with mob movies. Like, I am... I, I have a bit of a problem, and I think Rob occasionally has this problem too. I have a bit of a problem fetishizing crime and making mm -hmm. any of these people look like remotely cool or good. So, like, I understand that The Goodfellows is good, and it's one of the classic movies of all time. But I don't feel like a good person if I happen across it. Like, I've seen it because it's one of those classic movies you kind of have to see. And it was kind of the same thing with, like, Sopranos, where, like, on some shows you watch it, like Walking Dead, for example, and a character dies, and you're like, oh, man, that character was awesome, redeemed themselves, et cetera, et cetera. On this show, it's like, the person dies, and you're like, well, you know, he did kill that single mother because that single mother saw him doing a crime or whatever, you know, like, so I'm always, I was always a little bit weird. Like I appreciated the fact that it was a good show. And I, as a result, I watched it, but there was very few people in there that I was rooting for. If that makes sense. Well, that you were connected to. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, what's good about a really good mob, mob shows or movies. Um, cause in the Sopranos, like, you know, you have your protagonist, but he's not, a hero <laughs> you know what i mean like like all these guys um they're shown like and i think you just mentioned what was it casino or goodfellas but well really both of them uh, goodfellas, yeah. either one works for this example but especially with the sopranos there there is no good guy because they show you like what dirtbags these guys are like you mm -hmm. it's it's a good show for what it is and for uh, and and you're right sometimes these characters are looked upon as like cool or like heroic or or whatever and I agree they're not they're despicable people but I think that's what makes the show especially the soprano so interesting is you see like here's this despicable guy if you really think about it who kills people and he's a head of a mob mob family but his mother gives him ulcers cuz she's so annoying <laughs> you know and his, yeah. and he can't control his kid and his daughter's doing stuff behind their back and she seems like an angel but she's not and it it humanizes him, but it but I don't. If you're paying attention, it doesn't make him heroic. Mm -hmm. Like once you see all the so, stuff he does, which actually brings us right to this. So, I think what this is hoping to achieve, in a way, is showing something above and beyond Tony Soprano's mom giving him ulcers, which is true in the original show. Or like, but the part of the original show is he's having panic attacks, which is a really bad thing if if you're going to a psychologist when you're a mob boss because. All the other mob people are like, what's he saying? Correct. And this, I think the point of this was to show that Tony Soprano was just a kid that was into kid things, and his family was into illegal things, and he decided to head down a path. So there was this duality of the fact that he just wanted to lay on the floor with his head between two speakers listening to music, but his path ended up going a different direction because of something that happened to his mentor. That was kind of what I thought the point was. I've wanted to lay on the floor with my head between two other things, but <laughs> that's fair. Puppies, <laughs> puppies, right? <laughs> yes. Puppy. Yeah. Like actual puppies, not, um, not the movie was interesting uh, because, um, it was, I thought it was good. I, I was entertained by it, but there's, it was weird. It wasn't, this big explosive climactic scene in, in a way there was, yeah. I know where Rob's mind went with that one as soon as I said it, but 
<laughs> but there wasn't like this big, I don't know, whatever. Maybe it's just me. Greg's apple butter. <laughs> but it was still good. Like it was a, yeah, it was, it was a well done movie. Obviously, you know, you get none, none for you, either of you. <laughs> it's delicious. What did you think about the opening scene? So again, we did a spoiler warning. The opening scene uh, takes you through a graveyard, and you kind of see it was interesting because I hadn't quite gotten the. It's very low volume that opening scene. I hadn't quite gotten the volume set where I needed it to be. I actually and... rewound it and put on the um, the the closed captioning because I couldn't hear it. Yeah, so it's basically going through a, a graveyard and all of the graves of people that had died from the um, the show with a voiceover from Christopher. And again, I watched the whole show. I forgot that Christopher was killed, and I also forgot how. I had to go back and look it up. Um, but I thought it was very. I actually thought that those aspects were very enjoyable. Like, I mean, what what was your favorite scene on the whole thing? In the whole. In the whole movie? Mm-hmm. I don't know that there is a favorite scene. I really did like that opening graveyard scene. Um, I, I, I don't know that I have a favorite scene. I really liked, and I don't, this is a big spoiler, so I, I'm not going to say it because there's a lot with it. But the very, very last scene where you see um, young Tony Soprano, and he's kind of like mm-hmm. pacing back and forth. Um, I thought that was really well done, and I I can't say why because of spoiler. Gotcha. Because this is a spoiler that's so I this I would feel bad spoiling this because it's like the last thing you see in the movie and it. Gotcha. <clears throat> you know what I mean by that? Like this is I, I like I actually liked young Tony Soprano meeting Christopher for the first time. Like yeah, that was good. That was heartbreaking yeah. because knowing what happened yep. later on, seeing him hold him up as a baby, be like, "Oh, yeah, he's playing with babies like or whatever just a he says." Boy. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. I really loved um, re- really quickly before I forget because this is good. I I loved the scenes with um the what were their names? Billy Magnuson who plays Polly and John Magaro who plays Silvio. Because these guys, if you watch the show Sopranos, these guys studied the movements. It was perfect. They did. They imitated those characters, un- unbelievably. Like I, I had to rewind a couple of times. I was laughing so hard. It was great. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Vera from Vera from as well. She was awesome. She was fantastic. She was, she was actually a, a high point. Um, so there is some conversation now. I. I'm trying to think about how to, how to put this. So, Rob, you remember we watched uh, that? What was it? The the horror movie watched over my house a couple couple months ago, um, Conjuring. Oh, the Conjuring, yes. Yeah, and it had like a subtitle, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes when I when I watch a movie and I, if I've never seen a trailer, I know nothing about it. Like I get to the end of the movie and then I'm like, and I look at the title and I'm like, oh, that's why it was called that, right? And it, like it. It shows me what the actual movie was kind of about because sometimes, you know, when you watch an entire movie, you're like, like, because that one, like, specifically was about did this person do something or was he possessed to do something? Mm -hmm. So with this one, I was like, okay, what is this whole thing about? Because I went into it thinking it was really about Tony Soprano. So I thought there would be a lot more Tony Soprano, a lot more of him having to make choices and that we would see more 
of his choices and things like that. Now, there is a very large amount of other stories in this that I personally think take away from it. You think talk, there's too many, too many things going on? Is that what you mean? Um, so the, the, this movie actually takes place right around the um, Newark race riots. And I'm fine with that because that Newark race riot allowed someone to get away with a murder because they could just bear, hide the body in something that and burn it down because everything else was burning down anyway. Right? Mm -hmm. So that made sense. Perfectly fine. But it also follows the the um Leslie Odom character a lot as like a rival, you know, Harold McBrayer. And like I was mentally as it spent more time on that character and there was a lot of like like racially based like su like comments and things like that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, okay, this person is the rival. This person is going to be in some way the catalyst for everything. And it turns out it's not. That's actually a really good point. And like even to the point of where if that if that one character was – if we know what happened because we saw the movie. But if that one character was killed in a fire and he is a boss and he is a made man, shouldn't there be more hatred towards this other person? in some way but it, there was a lot of that kind of stuff and i and i am all in on you know on stories that will tell social you know social justice stories like I, i'm in but i think that there was a little bit too much of this to where it took away from that because if you pull that character and that whole story out the movie doesn't really change which which one the 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 um uh, uh Harold McBrayer Leslie Odom's yeah. character like yeah like so you pull out that whole storyline and actually that's true replace, if you take and out replace that it with more everything else still happened yeah and replace it with Tony Soprano because there's there's the only thing it was was a red herring for who actually does Correct. the thing now here's and here's the other spoiler and I'll bring this up because I, I had to do a little bit of research on it. The story is really about Tony Soprano's mentor, who's Dickie Moltisanti, uh, Alessandro Nivola, who I kind of recognized, but he was really good. He was very I thought, good. the actor. I think he was the um, best actor in the movie. Like, he was great. Yeah. And he's an older, not super old, but he's a little bit of an older actor. And I was like, this is a big role for someone to, for me to just notice them this late in their career, if that makes sense. It'd be like if, uh, I don't know, George Clooney just got found now. He's a little bit younger, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I thought he was really good. And it, the story is about him. He's Dickie Moltisanti. He was Tony Soprano's, um, what's it called, uh, mentor. And everyone talked about the fact that he died in the original show, right? Mm -hmm. so, and it was one of those, like, how'd he die? And then someone would tell a story. It was like the Joker almost, you know, where it was like, oh, this happened. And then someone else would be like, no, that's not what happened. This happened. So you actually find out what happened. But you have to be like, go on a deep, deep dive to figure that out. Like, it's from like one or two episodes of the original Sopranos. And it turns out that it's, it's Christopher's father, which is why Christopher was allowed to be in the mob because it's, you know, it's like a, a favor to his father who died. Um, And I just thought it was a little... 
I thought that all of the other stuff took away from that impact personally. Is that did that like did you know that that's what the story was really about, Omar? I um I, I wasn't sure. I, I I agree that I I thought it would have more to do with um, Tony Soprano, like young Tony Soprano. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be more focused on him. It's really not. Um, and I kept trying to figure out. <clears throat> this happens early on, so it's not. I'm not spoiling anything, really. Um, the, I was trying to figure out the name of the movie, the many, the many saints of Newark, right? Okay. And at one point early on, they they reference this is this is actually very early in the movie, maybe fifteen twenty minutes. They reference the the gang mem- the the gang members that like well one or two of them that they have hired to help work help them like help with work. You know what I mean? Help get stuff mm-hmm. done. Um, the gang's name is uh, the Saints. Uh, Did you catch that? Vaguely. I wasn't think I didn't connect it to the title at the time, but I do remember that conversation. Yeah, because I was looking for like what the hell's the title mean? And early on it's mentioned that the gang if I recall correctly, they're called the Saints. So I thought it was gonna go in that direction. Maybe some kind of gang war, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. But it turns out Multisanti, which I I I should have caught this because it's it's very similar to Romanian. Multisanti means many saints. Oh. That's why it's called the Many Saints of Newark. So I didn't, I didn't catch that, but I, I'd been looking for it, and I should have known because it, it's very, very similar uh, verb. But what's gabagool? Oh, uh, you, was pers- you pursuit. You yeah, told me, that, right? I told you. <laughs> yeah, gabagool is uh, is uh, no, it's uh, oh shit, I knew it until I said it because I said pursuit. Oh no, no, it's um, um, mortadella. Basically, did you say yeah. mortadella? <laughs> it's uh, cap uh, capicola. Capicola, Capicola. Bless you. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I was surprised by that because I've never heard it. <laughs> I've never heard it by its so, mob name. <laughs> yeah, like it's interesting. I liked visiting that world briefly again. Um, I was excited for it to come out actually, um, but I think that it needed less of some stuff and more of other stuff, um, and I. D- you have to really have remembered the Sopranos to like, cause there's a lot of threads like into there with other things that happen. Like the, there's a lot of, uh, of, uh, Dickie Moltisanti, the, his anger at times where he's kind of a good person, but when he gets angry, he'll murder his, his, uh, lover. Who, in, by the way, was in his the dad's middle of the broad day. <laughs> yeah. Who, and he also murdered his dad too. So, there's some of that stuff which you can definitely trace the threads, but um, overall, if you're a Sopranos fan, watch it. If not, you're going to be very confused because it does seem like a just a little bit of to me, like a little bit of uh, just bits and pieces, little like segments of a life. And if you don't know who these characters well, are, it's not going to make any. That's sense. interesting that you said that. I think if you're not, if you hadn't watched The Sopranos, I think this could stand alone. I think it could stand alone. Really? Yeah, I do. There, there, there are references to things. But you don't really need to know them for the movie to make sense. Like the storyline is still the storyline. So if you don't even know who they are, I can make my eight. I can make my eight-year-old watch it, and then he can get back to us because he's never seen this. Perfect. 
There Perfect age for this that's movie, anyway. That's that's excellent parenting right there. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. I do it for the listeners. Now, I'm going to do something else for the listeners right now. There's no therapy in his future. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about 80s metal. Woo! And I just finished a book, Nothing But a Good Time. It came out uh, March 16th, 2021 by Tom Bojour. And Richard Beanstalk. Uh, Nothing but a good time is the definitive, no holds barred oral history, oral. not a word, uh, of 1980s hard rock and hair metal told by the musicians and industry insiders who lived it. This book is one of those where it is a series of interviews pieced together and, you know, broken apart and with a few paragraphs in between things to guide you through the interviews. Um, usually those books drive me crazy when I th- listen to them in audible format, but. I'm getting better at them because a lot of the the music and film and comedy history stuff that I listen to does that. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts were I, I lived through this era, but I was a little young to understand living through this era. And I was very far away. Boca Raton is nothing like uh, Sunset Strip Los in Angeles. Sunset Strip. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is nothing like that at all. Only in our imagination. Uh, May... Maybe the cocaine and lawyers. That's probably about it. And, you know, we, I, I was a big into that type of music, which is weird. And I'm saying this again, just like I kind of said it with the Sopranos. I was never big into the whole drug culture thing. No, I mean, I was young then, but it's never been a thing for right. me. Like I've, it still isn't. <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, it just, I never did it. I don't, I don't like being out of control. I said a couple of weeks ago, I've never even been drunk. Like it's just not my thing, but all of these people whose music I listened to and whose pictures I hung on my wall, they were doing that kind of stuff. And in my mind, it was all play acting, even back then. Like when I had a picture on the wall where Slash was slumped against a wall with his hat over his eyes, I just thought they were, you know, posing him like that. And he wasn't actually passed out or like a picture of Motley Crue where two of the members were literally in like heroin comas during the photo shoot and they had sticks up their ass to stand them up yeah pretty much yeah you know like like oh that's interesting why is he wearing that ba- he never wore that bandana around his arm before and it was because like there was a bleeding needle wound gaping hole yeah that kind of stuff yeah Great. so you know this this story takes you basically from the early parts of the the metal scene out in los angeles which was really you know we've had this conversation a little bit on the show before it was really quiet riot and twisted sister that showed people what was po- what was possible in the era of MTV because there's a bunch of synth- a bunch of synthesizers and british new wave bands and these all these videos came out and then twisted sister and quiet riot did the same thing for the rock and roll scene basically right they did break pretty big mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and then motley crew and then to the lesser extent rat poison guns and roses I mean, Motley Crue really blew the door open, but Guns N' Roses was one of the biggest bands on the planet. Poison for too, a though. Few years. Like, po- yeah. yeah, I think Poison and even Bon Jovi—they like they—they they were mm-hmm. everywhere, man. They were like all yep. over the place. Every one of our babysitters probably liked Bon Jovi <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah, probably. Unless you had like one of those old babysitters, but. My babysitter was a Bon Jovi person, and she had very large, frizzy blonde hair. Of course. And I love her. Smell the vodka. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Uh, anyway, so, you know, it's... She I'm, almost reminded you of Chris from Adventures in Babysitting. True, true. So she never took me to Chicago, which would have been a big deal going from Florida to Chicago. So I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go through all of these crazy facts and all this stuff from, from the book. Because if you like 80s metal, this book is awesome. I'm going to... I highly recommend it. It was really interesting. The things that really stuck in my mind is, like, I thought certain things were happening just from reading Metal Edge and Hit Parader and all those magazines. This really takes you into why certain things were happening. And how like unprepared some of these bands were for the fame because some of the stuff was overnight like literally overnight success and we thought these guys were so with it and like like i never thought they were smart but like we thought that everything was like really mapped out for their success and it was really we just happened to see the ones that were successful mm-hmm. and you know if they happened to be wearing a shirt of another band that we didn't know of that band had probably failed along the way junkyard or thunder or something like that so cadaver yeah squirrel cadaver no they were way too heavy for this era Mm. get it together rob sorry (laughs) yeah um now i will say one thing that absolutely surprised me the you know the um on vh1 they used to do the like behind the music thing and everything was like awesome 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 and then it would be like then the drummer died of a drug overdose and then this happened and that happened and so on and so forth and then the then they'll be like, but the band got together in 2007 again and did a world tour, you know, like that. Um, so there's always like good, bad, good, like the, the good, bad Oreo, so to speak. Um, I was extraordinarily surprised that every one of these bands, the people that were interviewed, is doing significantly better now than they ever did in the 80s. Like business-wise or yes. health-wise? Well, health definitely business-wise. They, every single one of them that, you know, guy from LA Guns, guy from even, you know, some of the smaller bands that didn't quite break as big as Poison on the stuff, they, maybe back in the day, they could possibly sell out a club, like a bigger club, but now they're doing these big festivals and things like that, or they're, like, there's some bands that never headlined back in the day, like Kicks, who I know Omar will know them, but you won't, like, now they headline these giant shows is it spelled like the cereal yes it is actually Uh, they were a big metal band out of maryland but they you know they want some of the things that happen like they they'll do these big shows they fly in for a weekend they do they do a couple shows and they go back home and they're as they say they're walking their kids to school the next monday and they're just loving life and they're making so much more money because it's they go to a place everything's already set up they might bring their special guitar in a case and go there. Um, and they're not spending it all on heroin? Yeah, for the most part. That's like, I mean, that does help. But even then, they said the money was just significantly better. You know, there's even, like, a lot of these people that were fans of the 80s bands and are now, like, CEOs of companies, and they'll be like, hey, I'll pay you $100,000 to pay my to play my birthday party. And the money goes right to them. So it doesn't go through album uh, record labels or anything. Um, you know, the Monsters of Rock Cruise... There's a big cruise that brings a bunch of bands on it. And these, all these bands get to go on like a cruise with their fans. The fans pay thousands of dollars to go on it, and it sells out every year. So it's like it has a happy ending in some way. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah, like LA Gun said, they made they, they make three times as much money now as they did at their peak. Uh, Nelson, Nelson. Now we we all know of Nelson because they had long blonde hair, which means of course that they were 
if you have long blonde hair in the 80s and 90s, you're, there's clearly something wrong with you. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every show they played after they paid all of their like people and stuff, they ended up losing $1,500. That's insane. But, but then now, you know, they're doing fine. So, but, like, remember, the Monst- book is really remember good. how big Monsters of Rock was at the time? Oh, it was God, just, yeah. like, massive. It was, like, the biggest bands. And now they have a cruise. And I bet you, I bet they make crazy money, even yeah. on those cruises. And they get to go on a free cruise. Insane. So, that being said, rather than talk about the book anymore, I want to do a quiz. It's going to be an 80s metal quiz. And I'm so sure that Rob's going to get none of these right, that I think, that if he does get any of them right, Omar should give him an erotic uh, foot massage. Done and done. <laughs> Excellent. So, this, uh, like Rob's penis, when he saw the four hot girls on the cover of the Look What the Cat Dragged In album, this quiz is going to be hard. The four. I thought they were girls, too. I thought it was a different poison, <laughs> a different band called poison. I did not think they were girls, by the way. <laughs> I was like, can I, I want the one with the, like, the, the dudes, the guys, the band. <laughs> yeah. I, I I grew up around drag queens. I can recognize. There you go. All right, there you go. So Guns N' Roses is named after... Some of these questions are a little bit long, but uh, Guns N' Roses is named after Tracy Guns and Axl Rose. However, Tracy Guns left the band very early in their career. This was due to a blow-up where Axl was mad about a friend being left off of a guest list. What was her name? Tony Katane. That's a good guess, but not... Um... Who was the friend? And we only know her. We only know her first name, and that is a hint. We only know her chair. Madonna. Well, well, well. You just can't tell. Oh, Michelle. Oh, well, that's well, funny. well. My Michelle. My Michelle. Oh, okay. Her name was Michelle. That's from. That's a song from that's Appetite Destruction. Okay. Okay. This one might you, might be easier. This band declined to tour with Skid Row in 1991 because they thought that Skid Row was homophobic, so they they didn't do it. So 1991. Striper. Um, no, no hold on. Striper. That's right. Striper would be homophobic. No, no, uh, it would be uh, Judas Priest. Skid, hold on, hold on. Skid Row ended up taking Pantera out on this tour anyway. This is a surprise answer. Think 1991. Billy Ray Cyrus. No, you're saying it's. It, you're actually closer than than uh, Omar was. You're saying that the tour where they went with with Pantera. With Pantera. I remember that the original band that was supposed to go out with them. Declined because they were homophobic. The lead singer occasionally wore a dress. And they were not 80s metal. Occasionally wore a dress. Um, Jane's Addiction? Nope. Nirvana. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Nirvana. Michael Jackson patterned his bad look from a flyer advertising what 80s band. So when he picked the, the leather and stuff, which 80s band did Michael Jackson point at and say, I want to look like this for for my bad album? Twisted Sister. That one's got to be the Judas Priest one. With the leather? No. Warrant. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and I did try to make put some questions in, though there weren't pure 80s metal, so you can also get this from movies. In the White Lion Radar Love video, they did a cover of Radar Love. A white Lamborghini was featured. The same car appears in what movie? It, it's a white Lamborghini. A white, yeah. a white Lamborghini. And it's the same exact car that was in the video and in this movie is it wolf of wall street or you mean the same exact vehicle like the literal same vehicle the literal exact one like drove off of the movie set or drove off of the video set and pretty much was in the movie like the same year i think 
What year was it? I'm just I don't know the exact year. I was just kind of oh. making that part up. But I will give you. I can so give you radar love is like around eighty nine ninety. So, the person that drove it was definitely a good driver. Definitely a good driver. Dustin Rayman? Hoffman. Yes, Rob got one right. Omar gets to uh, has to do things. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I count. Uh, this is a win. <laughs> this band got their signature color due to it being the cheapest piece, type of paper when you print it when they printed out flyers. Green Jello. Green is Wait, the right color. Say the, say the question again. So this band is associated with a color, and they got that color because all of their flyers were printed on this color because it was the only paper they could afford. Green Day. Green. Nope. The color. It's not in their name. It's the color oh. that was always associated with them. Oh. Like their logo color. Poison? Yes. Oh, Ooh, you got two. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Roberto. <laughs> I don't know what you have to do now, Omar, but you better. Either way, you I You better win. get some chaps. You better get some chapstick. Uh, Rat's manager was the nephew of what comedian? Sam Kennison. Uh, who knows, Rat? Think way older and way more Jewish, I think. Rodney Dangerfield? He was in their one of their videos. He was and and. Well, his name was Marshall Burl, and he was Milton Burl's nephew. Oh, no kidding. Oh. He was also the guy that signed the Beach Boys and Van Halen. Signed the Beach Boys? Yeah, this, really? is, this question I very specifically put in there for Rob. This song was originally written as a country song, but was repurposed into the quintessential power ballad. Blaze of Glory? It's a close guess, but no. Power ballad, but written as a... And I think eventually Miley Cyrus covered it. Who was the original? Who was the original country artist? Well, it was the person that wrote it wrote it for their their own band as a but it wrote it as a country song before. But they it was it. never done as a country artist or until a after song, until it was Marley done. Cyrus. Correct, correct. It's a very famous song. The guy did wear a cowboy hat periodically. Every, Every rose, rose has, has a thorn. Oh, holy shit! You got it. I'm, he's. I'm, I can't think of anything, and he's killing it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we only got a few. We only got a few more. The guitarist for this band was John Bon Jovi's best friend going, growing up. Is another big '80s, late '80s band. Guitarist for this band. There's just so many. I don't know. Winger. Hold hold that thought. Oh, Rob. For uh, this, uh, so the guitarist for this band grew up with. John, John Bon Jovi and was his best friend. Were best friend, this... and then basically that's one of the reasons why they got their uh, record because deal. of Bon Jovi. Yep, White Snake, Slaughter. The guy's middle, na- the guy's nickname is in fact Snake. Oh, um, Jake the Snake Sabo from from Skid Row. Well, Dave Snake Dave, Sabo Dave, Skid Dave. Row. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, wow. This one is from a little funny outtake. What is Mick Mars' real hair color? Gray. I was gonna say it's got me. No. It's gray now, but what was Blonde? it? No, he was a redhead. Oh my god, are you kidding me? There's no way. <laughs> he was a redhead. They and the person that said it is that one of their like female like helpers, and she said that the band eventually became comfortable enough to change in front of her, and she said that's how I know that Mick Mars is really a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I picked that's that one. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> and the last one, the lead singer of this band, originally paid bass. For Alice Cooper. Winger. Yes! You got it. <laughs> Nicely done. Rob's killing it. That was awesome, dude. Rob got all yeah. of them. 
I don't. Uh, I, all, I, feel yeah, like I, I now owe the him first one. I think, but basically all. I don't think I got all of them. You didn't get all. No, I mean you got all of the ones that actually got right. <clears throat> like, if there was a question answered, you answered it. Nicely done. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 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 Yes. For sure. I didn't answer anything. Boom. Nicely done, Senor. I'm Omar. <laughs> discuss it this week. What was that rubbing sound? Please don't tell me. <laughs> oh. Oh. It'll be a surprise. That was fantastic. Yeah. There's nothing surprising about it. I. <laughs> I know exactly what's happening. <laughs> gonna... You get to go to Bath and Body Works and pick some lotions. <laughs> Just okay, laybacks so, and relax your throat. Uh, I've been practicing. Wait, speak- it's Wait, what? What are we doing? Speaking of things that uh, uh, I don't know, in- infect your body. Let's hear about venom. <laughs> Let there be carnage. Oh, well, Venom. Let there be carnage is the second installment in the Venom series, and it was released on October first of this year. And it is currently, I believe it's only in theaters, right? It's not streaming anywhere, is correct? correct? It's only in theaters, and it, it did huge business. Did it? How much did it do? I didn't see that, but it was definitely the highest grossing opening weekend of any movie since the pandemic. Oh, yes, Excellent. that's right. Yeah. It's it's good to hear that the, that the movie business is kind of coming back. Um, it does, it, we do have Tom Hardy returning as Eddie Brock, but we've also got Woody Harrelson, Michelle Williams, Naomi Harris, Reed Scott, Stephen Graham. Uh, it's written by Kelly Marcel and Tom Hardy, actually. And the, the brief synopsis is Eddie Brock attempts to reignite his career by interviewing serial killer Cletus Cassidy, who becomes the host of the symbiote, symbiote carnage and escapes prison after a failed execution. Um... I I really enjoyed the movie. There was I I feel like there was a lot more comedic relief in this movie. And a lot of the comedic relief came from actually kind of a surprising source cuz a lot of the comedy came from Venom. And and well so, some of it from Eddie Brock as well and you know their interactions together. But the the movie was really enjoyable. I was kind of curious how they were going to do the whole Carnage thing, but I think they gave that away in the trailer. And since it's in the trailer, I don't have any any uh, bad feelings telling you that at some point Woody Harrelson's character, Cletus Cassidy, gets hold of Eddie Brock, bites him, and while Venom is, you know, riding Eddie Brock, uh, bites bites him and gets some blood on his lip or whatever and he scrapes it off and the blood has like traces of venom and so he swallows it and then when he goes to the electric chair you know it it uh multiplies everything or gives it the i guess it gets it the juice that it needs to to inhabit him and grow and expand and whatnot so then he becomes he becomes host for the symbiote known as carnage and they the CG was actually really good. There's a great scene as Carnage is breaking out of the jail just after his attempted execution. And he does like this weird Carnage tornado thing that is really cool. It sucks people up and he grabs the warden. and But he just goes on this killing spree and then busts out. I do feel like, like Carnage went down like... And that's one of the big problems with superhero movies is that you have these big bad villains 
and they always feel that they have to kill the villain. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and then you're like, well, who's next? Yeah, and eventually you run out of villains. Yeah. There is a giant super prison in the Marvel Universe, in all of these universes, really, that they could just stick these people in, even if they're not paying the actor. They don't have to go visit that prisoner. <laughs> right. Right. They and and they I mean you don't have to kill every supervillain you come across. I mean you can capture some of them, you can incapacitate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> now I can't pronounce it the correct way, but I almost spray water all over everything. <laughs> we almost had to cancel the podcast because I almost sprayed the microphone with water. Um yeah, I said that. Um incapacitate. Right? Yeah. The the movie is really enjoyable. I did like the first one better. But the the interactions between Eddie Brock and Venom were kind of the highlight, even even if they did get they were a little over the top as far as the comedic value is concerned. Did Venom eat Mrs. Chen? <laughs> Venom did not eat Mrs. Chen. However, we did get do you do you want me to tell you I'm gonna tell you this. Spoiler alert, we did get a venomized Mrs. Chen. Yes. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it, at some point, uh, Eddie and Venom have a falling out. And they they have a trial separation. <laughs> <laughs> and they get to realizing how much they miss each other. Nice. And so they get reunited. And it feels so good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Another music record. <laughs> uh, oh, I know, I know. He's killing it um, yeah, and he knew the, the quiz was coming. He he did nothing but study. Like actually, I didn't study shit. I just <laughs> I just started yelling out shit that I that I remember vaguely remembered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the a lot of great action sequences. Uh, like I said, I I I felt it was kind of anticlimactic at the end with how they dispatch Carnage. Um, and they didn't really. I don't. I don't feel like they left the door open to to have Carnage, you know, come back. So I, th- I think they did away with him. But... Okay. Post-credit so, scene? Is that what you're talking about now? You know this is, you know this is a quote-unquote Marvel movie, even though it's not really a Marvel movie, isn't it? Owned by Sony at this point? Correct. It's a Marvel movie, even though it's not a Marvel movie? Yes. So what do we know to do... For all Marvel movies. You buy you, toys afterwards. You, yes. You wait for the post credit scene. Absolutely. Now, there is not a post-post credit scene. And by that I mean you don't have to wait until the very end of the rolling okay. credits. Yeah, because then you'll never know who the key grip is or the lighting right. technicians <laughs> for the three D effects. So well, Omar is always the key grip. <clears throat> I've been practicing for years. Yes, he. <laughs> um, so you don't need to wait until the end of the the complete rolling credits, but there is a a post credit scene in between, like a mid credit scene. So you know how after every movie you get like the stylized credits where they have like this images from the movie and then like the names flash up yeah. on the screen. Yeah, you know? drawings and yeah, stuff artwork like that. and crap like that. So in between that and the rolling credits, there is a post credit scene. You can take and, my class and learn how to do this. And it <laughs> is a doozy. Ooh. Okay. 
I think I kind of I think I accidentally found out what it was when I was doing notes. Do you, Do you want me to spill it? Does it involve a news report? It does. But more importantly, it involves who gives the news report. Uh, Interesting. Okay, so if you don't want to know, go ahead and stop listening now. You can go uh, buy stuff on our Threadless site. <laughs> wow. Yes. All right. Give so me five podcast.threadless.com while Rob is telling this. Okay, go ahead. Spoiler warning. Here you go. <clears throat> At the end of the movie, um, Eddie Brock and Venom are talking. And, you know, Venom is a symbiote, so he's got thousands of years of experience, multiple lifetimes, because he's been through multiple hosts. And he tells uh, Eddie Brock that, you know, half of what he knows would just ruin Eddie Brock's brain. And he's like, I can take it, I can take it. Like the so Borg basically, kind of thing, right? he, he, what's that? Like a Borg, like a, a yeah. hive mind. Yeah, so basically he opens up the hive mind to Eddie Brock and something snaps. But it's not Eddie Brock. It's... The basically the time space continuum, and there's like this whole like shimmer effect, and now they're in the same hotel room, but it's designed differently, and like all of the decor has changed almost like he's switched locations, but it's still exactly the same hotel room, other than like the decor and shit, which kind of lends itself to the whole multiverse theory, okay, and he looks up and you know aside from the guy who's in the bathroom that comes out brushing his teeth and says what are you doing in my hotel room um he's what he's got the tv on and there's a newscast that comes on and the newscast is being delivered by j jonah jameson oh interesting and they're talking about the outing of peter parker as spider-man interesting okay which means, ladies and gentlemen, Venom has just entered the Spider-Man right, universe. because that's a clearly a reference to the, what, movie comes out next month? The upcoming yeah. movie, yes. Yeah. No Way Home. Uh, December. December. Comes out for Christmas, I think. Yeah. Yep. So, I have some questions. Mm-hmm. My child, huge Venom fan. Safe for like him. it. Venom is funny. Well, yeah, but, like, does Carnage rip people in half and eat their spleens? <laughs> yes. But in a family on screen. Um, He does it while singing Baby Shark. It's fun. There there are a couple of sequences that are somewhat graphic. There is one scene in particular where he holds up a guard. But I think you see it in the trailer. He holds up a guard and Carnage takes his long-ass symbiote tongue and shoves it down the guy's throat and kills the guy that way. Okay. Um, kind of graphic. Kind of like, kind of how you kiss. Yes, yes, exactly. You're, you've experienced that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember, I, I think a lot of it is hinted at. There's a scene where he bites the head off a priest. But you don't, you see him stretch his mouth open, you see him tuck the priest's head toward his mouth, and then the camera cuts away. But you know he does it, because you hear it. So he bites the guy's head off. So there's a lot of implied. You don't necessarily see it all, but at times you may as well. So it's pretty. You know what I mean? A ton. It's it's there. Yes, it is definitely there. Okay, I'm intrigued. I might wait for it to come out on home for him. So, but you should go see it. I would love there. 
like I remember the some of the Maximum Carnage comics back in the day. Mm-hmm. I just love the idea of someone who was already a serial killer getting a hold of this powerful weapon that could be turned into giant blades and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and the creative things they could do with it. And I, I kind of hope that they do some sort of uh, rated R version because when I saw it was PG thirteen, I'm like, man, Carnage is in the title. You know, I wanted to see people getting ripped in half. I wanted to see the the violence you would see in like a Deadpool or in a slasher movie because right. Carnage was always like one of those. Now wasn't wasn't this rated PG thirteen? It was. It is rated PG thirteen. Yeah, so they they can't get too gory with it. Yes, yeah, so I would love a rated R version of it, which probably won't happen. But um, just the, the the look of Carnage with those like when his tendrils come out and they have like the little like scythe looking blades at the end of them, it just always uh-huh. looks so cool to me. Um, so I was kind of hoping they, to see they, that. In the movie. I will say they did a great job with modeling Carnage. Carnage looked fantastic. Okay. Well, I I will see it at some point soon. And then I can judge and decide whether or not. I'm trying to convince the child to be to be Venom for Halloween. And then I will dress up as Carnage because everyone needs to see me in that type of spandex. <laughs> because you want to be Carnage. <laughs> I do. I it's do. Carnage on the eyes. <laughs> That's okay. And I want to see, and I want my wife to dress as Gwenpool. So. <laughs> or not Gwenpool, uh, uh, Spider-Gwen. <laughs> so. Gwenpool or Spider-Gwen, either one of them. <clears throat> exactly. So okay, cool. That sounds uh, interesting. That sounds great. I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was good. Okay, take us out of here. Who? Who is it? <laughs> who, who, me? You. I'm taking everybody out. Yes, you. Yeah, it's take me? everyone out of here. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's why you need to stick around next week. Because if you haven't seen a movie about people <laughs> living in the sewers uh, that are cannibals, well, you haven't lived yet. Next week is CHUD, which stands for Cannibalistic Underground Humanoid Dwellers. Uh, um, no, no, that would be CUD. The, oh, yeah. Uh, cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Did I say it backwards? Sorry, I was. Yeah. Okay. He wrote That's it backwards. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I see it. I was in the waiting room of a medical facility and typing it That's on my fair. phone. That's so fair. Bad things happen. And I wasn't reading ahead, <laughs> which I should have been. But um, uh, stick around next week for CHUD. If you haven't seen it... Um, well, you you just don't know how to live. Um, like, subscribe, review. You can go to GiveMe5Podcast.com. That's F-I-E, F-I-V-E. Please don't type the number because um, we don't know where that will take you. Um, on, on Facebook, you can search for the Give Me 5 Podcast. It's Give Me 5 Pod at Twitter and Instagram. You can go to Give Me 5 Podcast at gmail.com and tell Greg why you tell Greg why you love him let's go positive with it tell tell Greg why he's awesome yeah, yeah. thank you um, you can leave us a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast app tell you are Greg using why you love that he sucks <laughs> and um, you can also go to the gimme5podcast.threadless.com if you want to buy awesome swag excellent mm. guys thank you for listening we love hearing from you we love getting reviews from you so do that and make us happy. <laughs> do it. Do it. I deserve happiness, damn it. <laughs> do it that way.